Good morning, Mercy Hill. So, before we start. All right. So, if you've been uh, keeping up with our reading plan uh, here at Mercy Hill, Mercy Hill, we're doing a uh, reading plan for the year, uh, one chapter a day, plus some uh, journaling. And if you've been keeping up with that, great. And if not, we can get you one, and it's fine. But uh, it does give you a little bit of insight of where we're going to be at today. Um, so last week we read uh, 1 Thessalonians, the end of it, and then all of 2 Thessalonians, last two of first of 1 Thessalonians and three chapters of 2 Thessalonians. Uh, and today we're going to be looking at 2 Thessalonians uh, 1 through 12. So just the entire, I don't know if it's up there or not, just the entire uh, chapter. Um, so before we do that, let us, let us again pray um, together. Father, as we get into your word, um, I pray, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to us. Father, that you would draw us near as we um, seek to gain an understanding of you. Father, we just pray that you would reveal yourself. And all these things, amen. So before we get into this passage, um, just off the bat, uh, I just want to tell you uh, how great of an honor it is to be able and a privilege um, to be able and given this opportunity um, to exegete from the Word of God to you this morning. Um, my hope is that at the end of this morning, um, the Lord will have revealed himself to you, that his truth and character would be revealed to you through his text, again, by the renewing of your minds. So before we start, quick poll. Um, how many, by a show of hands, and I don't know how this is going to go because I've never done a poll like this. By a show of hands, uh, how many of you have ever suffered in one way or another. Just quick, cool. Um, I was hoping I would get that response. Uh, that's what I assumed. Now, another question. How many of you have ever been confused by your suffering um, or like it just won't go away? Like it's kind of this ongoing, okay. Again, this is what I assumed. So what I am trying, what I want to show you today and what I think... Um, the purpose, you could say. Uh, one of the things, one of my goals, I guess, is to try to change our perspective on suffering, just in general. And so, uh, let's read. How about that? Let's get to that. So, uh, 2 Thessalonians, starting in verse 1, and uh, it says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of, Thessalon of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you, and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to always give thanks to, to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfast faith and uh, in all of your persecutions and afflictions that you are enduring. This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also, 
for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considered it just to repay with affliction those who afflict us, to those who afflict you as in great relief to you as well. I need glasses. To grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not obey and who do not know God, who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction and from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in the saints and to be marveled at among all who believe because our testimony to you has been believed. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. So, a couple of things to notice. This passage, you could probably break it up into several different points or different sections, areas. Um, but there are three points that I'm going to try to make to you this morning. Um, before we do, again, we want to just, context is usually sometimes really key. And so um, just a little context on the church uh, the Thessalonian church. Um, so Paul starts this church. Uh, you can read about this in Acts 17. So Paul and Silas go into Thessalonica. They are there for about three weeks. They're in the synagogue doing their thing. And in three weeks, uh, they convert many of the Greeks that were there. Um, however, many of the Jewish people that were there were not converted. They were actually very upset about what happened. Um, Anyhow, so they later, in those three weeks, after those three weeks, um, create a mob. They go to arrest Paul and Silas, and they had escaped to Berea. Um, so we have a very young church. We have a very um, new church, but we also have a very persecuted church. Um, again, Acts 17 is where you'll find the story of the starting of this church. So Paul is writing to uh, a young church who accepted the gospel believe the scriptures. Um, but in this letter, Paul has an idea of what's coming next. So the initial part is, yes, we've accepted the gospel. We've accepted um, Jesus as the Lord. Um, Paul has an idea of what's coming next um, because uh, Paul knows what it takes to be a Christian. Um, and and this is sort of my first point as he sort of is foreshadowing um, throughout this. But my first point today is that uh, suffering will always be the price for believers who follow Jesus. It is quite possible to say that suffering is a necessary part of the Christian life. So if we look at verses 3 through 5, again it says, We ought to always give thanks to God for you brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith and your persecution in the affliction that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. Suffering. So, Paul is giving thanks um, for a couple things here. Right, so the church has continued to grow in their faith, steadfast faith. 
um, as well as growing in love for one another. Even though they are being afflicted constantly by both their fellow Greeks as well as the Jewish community um, in, Th- in Thessalonica. And Paul is really boasting about this church, um, encouraging them um, through their persecution, right? You guys, this church, you are the, so it'd be like, you are the example, right? You guys are continuing to grow. You guys are continuing to love one another. Your faith has continued to grow. It has remained steadfast through your persecution. When we, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, go to plant churches, we boast about you guys, right? You are the church that we boast about, so be encouraged. Continue to grow in your steadfast faith, right? So this is what Paul is doing, right? This is, he knows that persecution is going to happen because Paul, the, if you know the story of Paul, before Paul was the, a Christian, before he had that great encounter on the road to Damascus, Saul was Paul, and he was one of the greater persecutors of, of the Christians. And so he knows that as Christians, what will happen is that persecution will ha- w- is going to come, right? And, and we see this... Um, we see this all over, right? So in James 1, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. Right? We see this all over. Uh, Paul's out in... Page turn. In Romans 5, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope uh, of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Notice the trend, right? It's going to come. Persecution, part of the Christian life. Uh, John 15, starting at verse 18, Jesus said, If the world hates you, know that it hated, uh, it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the, world, the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than, their ma- than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all things they will do to you on the account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates the Father. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, They would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that was written in the law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. The church has always suffered persecution. I can't, now granted, I'm probably not, the most biblical literate person, but I can't remember any place in the Bible where 
Jesus called people to him and said, it's going to be super easy and it's going to be super cool. I do not ever, I can't put my finger on that. You have to ask Eric later if that exists, but I don't think it does, right? The church is not, and as Christians, Is a good thing. So, back to it. Our job as a church and as Christians in this world is not to be relevant to society. It is not to be cool. As a church, our job is to proclaim the gospel, and that is it. Our, church, our job as a church is to proclaim the gospel that it is through faith, it is by faith alone, it is by grace alone, it is with scripture alone, it is through Christ alone, it is to the glory of God alone. Nothing else. That is our job, right? As a church, as believers, our job is to do nothing more than to proclaim that. So, speaking of cool, I'm going to take a step here. Um, so, when I was... 13 maybe, 14, junior high. It's a rough phase of life for most people. The coolest thing that I could do was go down to the Swiss Festival, which everybody knows what that, it's a little festival we have in Sugar Creek, and we would go to this little store and we would buy necklaces, chokers actually, made with seashells, because that was cool. It wasn't. It was atrocious, actually. And when we were in eighth grade, when we'd go to Washington, D.C., we'd get our first experience with street vendors, and because all of our brothers, my older brothers at least, came back with these fake Oakleys that they would buy in all different brands and colors, that's what we did. And it was cool. And it's not. Right? One of the things, so, yeah. The, the amount of um, butterfly hair clips that my wife put in her hair in junior high, it was cool then. It's not now. <laughs> right? And we all have that. We all have those, right? We all have those times where we kind of look back and we're like, man, that was really not cool. Right? But we thought it was. Right? We're trying to convince people, yeah, like, we're cool. Right? Like we we're we're in the crowd, right? Don't it's 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 so far from as a church what our job is to be. The job of our of the church, the church, the bride of Christ, here at Mercy Hill, here wherever it is, the true bride of Christ. The job isn't to be cool and to go out and be like, we're super relevant and we're really cool, like come to us. That's not our job. Our job is to proclaim the gospel. Jesus said in John, he said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent, him draws, draw, who sent me draws him in, and I will raise him on the last day. We are to boldly proclaim the gospel and allow God to draw his people in. So, 
speaking of the last day. This brings me to my second point. Paul is giving, trying to make, he's giving the motivator, right? Why do we suffer? That becomes the question, right? So we know what's going to happen. We know suffering. Okay, I have been called. You were chosen before the foundation of the world. Okay, I will suffer. Doesn't sound super exciting, but why, right? And it's, um, so, the motivator, why we endure, right? Because it doesn't say that we're supposed to try to make, like, there's no guarantee of of an easy life, right? But why do we endure? Because the day of relief is coming. Justice will be served. The day of relief is coming. Right? Our, our, it's a weird word, our hope is in the second coming of the Lord. This is our hope. This is why we endure. Right? Verses uh, 6 through 10, right? So since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to those to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire inflecting vengeance on those who do not know God uh, or do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints, and to be marveled at among all who believed, because our testimony to you is believed. Right? This is our hope, is the second coming of Christ. The day that justice is served, the day that relief is granted. Right? I just... So, has everybody's heard of the principles between like instant gratification and delayed gratification. Anybody hear that? Yeah, right. So the idea of delayed gratification, we endure something and we're a little miserable now for the greater greater reward that happens in the end, right? It's, it's, I can, sure, I can instantly gratify myself now, which might feel okay, but in the end, right, the reward is much greater when I can deny myself that. This is why we endure, right? The church, back to this. Last, the last time I preached, I went a little off what I wrote, and we went a little, I, w- I was told, if you manuscript, stick to it. So we're coming back. <laughs> the church has a history of persecution. This is um, undoubtable, right? I would say, starting from the very beginning, the persecution of Jesus. So they hung him to a cross. They placed a crown of thorns on his head. They pierced his hands and feet. And ran a spear through his side. I imagine. When I imagine. The blood shed for my salvation. 
makes what I'm suffering kind of not so important, a little minuscule, right? And there's a history of persecution throughout the church. In 87 AD, uh, the Roman emperor, Nero, made it his personal job to try to destroy Christians. Now, these Christians um, would be burnt alive. They would be, they would soak clothes in wax and it would harden and stiffen and then they would put it on the Christians and then they would burn them. Right? The wax would continue to feed the flame. Another Roman emperor in around 300 A.D., made it his job on one day to try to destroy Christianity in and of itself. Burning Roman churches, burning all the books that these Roman churches had. To no avail of squandering Christianity. Then, if you can't stop them by burning their churches and their books, you have to just burn them themselves. And so they endured. We endure because our hope is in that second coming. Relief will come. Justice will be served. It, uh, in the 1500s, right? Martin Luther, right? The Catholic Church is running amok. Martin Luther starts, the reform, starts reforming, right? Faith alone, grace alone, through Scripture alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God. Right? Because this is true. This is what is true. This is the gospel. Right? He demises himself professionally. Right? Doesn't matter. He endures because he knows on that second coming. Our hope is in the second coming of the Lord. As of 2001, that's the only numbers I could get, so. It is estimated about 70 million Christians have been killed for their faith. It is historically known that the bride of Christ, the true bride of Christ, has always been persecuted. And it always will. We stay around, though, because we know the Lord is sovereign and we know there is coming a day where relief will be granted. When he comes back in his, with his angels in flaming glory, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know him or those who do not obey his gospel. Say that one more time. When he comes back in angels, with his angels in flaming glory, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know him and those who do not obey his gospel. These things we know are going to happen because the inerrancy of scripture tells us so. Yet we persevere because we know relief is coming.
Hebrews 9 says, So Christ, having been offered, of, uh, offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting him. To save those who eagerly await him. Our hope is in the return of the God King, and we eagerly await his return. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead will rise first, then we who are alive, we who, uh, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So will we always be with the Lord. Titus 2 says, Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession, who are zealous for good works. To purify himself a people for his own possession. We are zealous for good works. Not that good works save us, but we are zealous for good works because the understanding of this changes our hearts and we desire the things that God desires. Now, I'm going to make a point, another point, and then I'm going to move on. Um, but I just want you to think for one second about eternal destruction. Eternal, uh, literal definition, means lasting or existing forever. Forever means there is no chance for change. So I like to think of the justice system here that we have sometimes people will be sentenced to life in prison and then they'll have parole in maybe 20 25 30 years whatever it is and there's this opportunity that if i do enough good stuff and i've changed my ways enough that i'll lower my sentence or get out i don't right there is no possibility for parole in eternity Hell is eternal, eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. You could be there for 10,000 years, and if you think 10,000 years, right, that's a pretty long time, right? In those 10,000 years, if you could keep time while you're in that destruction, you will not be one iota closer to any change ever happening, right? Right? 10,000 years, and you are not one second closer to the possibility of ever changing what's going to happen next. Or that you won't stay there. Eternal is eternal. This is to those who afflict the bride of Christ and to those who oppress believers. Now, when you share this with people, they'll say, 
Yes, but isn't your God a loving and forgiving God? Why not just forgive all of those people too? Which is a fair question. To that I would say, absolutely, he is a loving and forgiving God. But he's also a righteous and a just God. God cannot be in the presence of unrighteousness. And unless you are washed in the blood of Jesus, you are seen as unrighteous. Unless that gospel, unless Christ is in you, it's all right to want justice. Right? It's not our justice that we seek. Right? I would probably argue Paul's encouraging them uh, in this church to want justice. But also remember what Paul said in Romans 12. Uh, Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. God will continue to purify his bride through persecution. His true bride, the bride of Christ, will continue to be persecuted. On that day, when he comes in flaming fire and glory, inflicting vengeance on those who afflict, who oppress his church, I don't want to be, nor do I wish anybody, not even my worst enemy, to be on the wrong side of an all-powerful and almighty and omniscient God. So as we wait for that day, and this is our hope, we are given a gift to help us endure. And this brings me to my final point. My final point is that prayer is a gift that we must use to endure our suffering. In verses uh, 11 and 12, again, it's 2 Timothy 1. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. This morning... uh, I'm going off here. So, this morning, uh, 8:30. Apparently, uh, so at 8:30, um, some people, and this is open to anybody, right? Gets together and pray. Some of the saints of our church get together and pray. We could all do it. Anybody, it's open to anybody. This is the tool a tool to use to help endure suffering. We know suffering's imminent. We know it's going to happen. We're foreigners in this land. This is not our home. 
we know suffering is going to happen. Prayer is what we use to help endure. Paul, Paul has this great love for this church. He's praying. He knows suffering's coming. Reminding them that um, no matter what, that our Lord will be glorified in and of it all. At the end of the time, no matter the suffering, that he will be glorified. Since that's our only purpose, then it makes sense, right? Uh, yeah. The, the, in this, the, the, I, the beautiful thing is that it is in the end of verse 12 when he says, that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him. Our suffering, through our suffering, we glorify him when we remain steadfast in faith and continue to grow in love for one another. And he will be glorified. You see, God is sovereign over all things and working things according to his plan. So we know we're, he knows we're going to suffer. He suffered. Jesus suffered. If the God, the the man, I don't know what the word is, but if he is 100% man and 100% God put into one being, and he is here on earth, is going to suffer, right? For our sins. Kind of like try to put things in perspective, right? A literal God was afflicted course they're going to to persecute those who choose to follow him he's purifying his church right and we endure it through prayer throughout the letters of Thessalonica or to Thessalonica Paul is constantly praying for his church uh, just over in two Thessalonians uh, chapter 2 it says now may our God our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. In 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 16 says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way, the Lord be with you all. Paul is constantly praying. There's actually a website devoted to all of and a, to all of Paul's prayers in all of his epistles. Right? We could stand to learn some things from Paul in that way. Right? Paul, one of the most persecuted people, one of the most persecuted Christians, right? Think of this church. He goes to the, he, three weeks, he has a mob already after him. Three days he's spent in the synagogue, one a week. And he has a mob chasing him already. Yet he constantly prays. We have people throughout the entire Bible. Uh, David, right? We all know King David. Uh, in Psalm 51, right? 
Deliver me from my enemies, O God, O my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil. And save me from bloodthirsty men. For behold, they will lie and wait in my life. Fierce men stir up strife against me. Praying while he's being run after. We all know the story of Job, right? First chapter of Job. He loses his children. He loses his livestock. He loses it all, pretty much. Right? The end of chapter 1 of Job, it says... Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of our Lord. Here at Mercy Hill, one of our values is earnest prayer. Prayer is the first work of the Christian life, Oswald Chambers says. said, Prayer does not equip us for the greater works, prayer is the greater work. And the Bible will affirm this. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, it says, pray without ceasing. Romans 12, 12, be constant in prayer. Luke 18 says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. Ephesians 6, praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Colossians 4, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At Mercy Hill, again, our, one of our values. We don't, have, we don't just have a prayer life. We want life to be, a pr prayer to be our life. As a community, we must all call each other to this constantly. Our default mode is to try to figure things out um, without going to prayer first. The simple question we need to constantly ask each other is have we prayed about it? Persecution is uh, part of following Christ. A gift that we have been given to help us through our suffering is prayer. We need to stop seeing persecution through the lens of the world and begin to see it for what it truly is. It is a part of the Christian life. And that we may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. Jesus never said, follow me and it will be super cool, fun, and easy. When we became believers in Christ, we chose to become foreigners of this world. We chose to make heaven our home. This is our temporary stay. Sojourners passing through. This is why the church has been persecuted forever, and this is why the church will continue to be persecuted. Because the church is not part of this kingdom. It is part of the kingdom of God. The world is just this world. So, worship team.
You guys can come up. I, I just can't get over how fun that is to say that. As they come up, uh, I'm going to leave you with just a thought or two. Um, questions, actually. And then I'm out of here. So, the first question that I want to leave you with is this. Through my suffering, have I remained faithful to prayer and growing in steadfast faith? Say that one more time. Through my suffering, have I remained faithful to prayer and growing in steadfast faith? The second question. When was the last time that you took delight in the hope for Christians, our only hope, and that is the second coming of Christ? When was the last time you truly delighted in that, knowing that someday relief will come? And then this and then that's it. Am I robbing myself of the hope of the second coming of Christ. Let's pray. Father, you are sovereign and holy. Lord, and you will never leave us nor forsake us. Father, I pray as we leave here today, as we go out into the world that we would be bold in our proclamation of you and that we would understand Father that you will continue to purify your church through suffering this is how it is when we are not of the world Lord, you did not call us to be of this world. Father, you called us to follow you and to share your gospel. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.